Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Daily Come On Out MMA Podcast. I am Trent Reinsmith. It is Wednesday, November 18th, and here are the topics for the day. I believe the Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier fight in January will be for a UFC title, at least an interim title. Dana White uh, attacks Bob Arum, which is a case of pot meat kettle. Stephen Thompson has a theory about Hamza Chemaev and how he's moving up the rankings. Juicy A. Formiga says 75 more fighters are going to get cut from the UFC. John Jones's ego won't let him retire by 35 and maybe not even by 40. And what the hell is Mike Perry saying? And on with the show. So there's been some speculation that when Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier do fight at UFC 257 in January, that the fight will be for the UFC lightweight title or maybe an interim title, depending on what's going to happen with Habib Nurmagomedov. So Nurmagomedov was allegedly retired after he defeated Justin Gaethje, but he also recently tweeted or posted on social media that he got a USADA drug test. So that means he's officially not retired because you cannot retire from the UFC until you leave the USADA pool. That's pretty much your official retirement from the UFC is when you withdraw your name from the USADA pool because then if you want to return, you have to do so under, I think it's a six-month testing plan before you can take a fight. So Nurmagomedov remains in the testing pool, which means he remains available to fight. And White said at the Dana White Contender Series last evening that he thinks um, Nurmagomedov will return to fight and get his and hopefully get his record to thirty and zero. He didn't say what would happen after that. He didn't say who he thought Nurmagomedov would fight. He just said he thought he would come back to fight that thirtieth fight. Um, so which means that until White knows exactly what Nurmagomedov is going to do, the title is his. I don't think that's going to stay the same. Um, I think. At the very least, that the McGregor Poirier fight, if it takes place, will be for an interim title because it'll give the UFC a title to put on a poster, which we know it loves to do. It'll throw a bone to Conor McGregor, which we know it loves to do. And if McGregor beats Poirier, then that sets up a title unification bout with potentially with Nurmagomedov. And if Nurmagomedov decides to stay retired, well, then McGregor just falls right into the UFC lightweight championship, which serves the UFC well. I think there's too much at stake here with the money that can be made off Nurmagomedov and the money that can be made off McGregor to say that this won't be a title fight. Um, there's plenty of time until January to make changes on this. And we know that Dana White's word is not worth much uh, because he's made statements that turned out to be completely false many times. So not only does it do all those things, it kind of puts pressure on Nurmagomedov as well to say, all right, we have a, a what is going to be a title eliminator lined up. If you don't come back between X and X, then you're going to lose your belt. And this could be the winner. Of this could be a fall into the championship because I'm I'm fairly certain that this is going to be at least a interim title shot. Just makes too much sense for the UFC to not make it that. And then I'm going to say that 
if McGregor wins, I don't think I don't think Nurmagomedov takes that fight because I think it makes a point that he already beat him, beat him badly, and he does not need McGregor to secure a legacy. That legacy is secured. McGregor's legacy, I don't think that's secured at all. He never defended a title in the UFC. He has all the the criminal charges and just the stupidity that he's done. Um, there's too much going on there to say that he has a, a secure or good legacy if he would come back, win a title over Nurmagomedov, and and that and that that twenty nine and zero run. Well, then okay, but I, as Nurmagomedov said before, he doesn't want to put the spotlight on McGregor, and I completely understand that because when the spotlight's on McGregor, as we saw in the lead up to their their the first fight, McGregor was kind of an asshole. And maybe Nurmagomedov doesn't want to deal with that because he doesn't have to deal with that. He'll be fine without this fight. And I don't think money means all that much to him because you don't, you don't see him talking about buying yachts and buying watches and wearing ridiculous ass sweaters that cost a grand or more. You don't see that, but you do see that with McGregor. So McGregor needs Nurmagomedov much more than Nurmagomedov needs McGregor. And the UFC wants both of them. Now, if Poye wins, um, I don't think that Nurmagomedov comes back for that one either. He might, because I think there's some mutual respect there. But again, like McGregor, he doesn't need Poye, but maybe he'll feel that, okay, Poye is a stand-up guy. Um, they can help each other. They get paid. They do some things for charity with that. And everyone wins. But again, I, I wouldn't count on that. What I... What I am willing to bet, though, is that by the time this fight takes place in January, the McGregor and Poirier fight will be for an interim title. Another thing that happened after last night's Dana White Contender Series is White, as he is, as he often does, ripped into Bob Arum um, because Arum said something about how much money Terrence Crawford had cost him, and you know, then White went on some kind of rant about. Aram should pay his fighters what they're owed and that he's a promoter and he should promote the fighters. And I was kind of left slack-jawed about this because we know Dana White doesn't pay the fighters what they're worth because, again, and again, and again, we'll mention this, the split goes 80% or more to the UFC and 20% or less to the UFC fighters. And Dana White's not a fight promoter. Dana White's a Dana White and UFC promoter. And there's a big difference between Dana White promoter and Dana and Dana White UFC promoter. Dana White's interest is not in promoting the fights as so, so much as it is pr promoting the UFC brand. And that's not a mistake. That's why things were designed. Has he promoted UFC 255 yet? Not that I recall. I haven't heard him out stomping um, his feet about this fight card, which has two title fights at the top. I don't know if he even mentioned that at all during the... Uh, during the media event there after the contender series. So don't try and sell me that Dana White is promoting fights or fighters. He promotes the UFC brand first and Dana White second. And he, and he doesn't pay the fighters what they're worth. So it was astonishing to think that he actually feels this way, that he's a fight promoter. And if he does feel that way, well, that he, he couldn't be more wrong. Couldn't be more wrong. His job is to extract as much money from the fighters as he can and give that to his bosses at Endeavor and the folks who bought into the UFC through Endeavor. 
His job is not to promote fighters and fights. His job is to promote the UFC and extract money from the UFC fighters. He doesn't care who's on these cards as long as they get average or above average ratings and they fulfill the obligation to ESPN. Anything other than that, not his business and not his concern. The fighters have to promote themselves and hope that that works because White's not going to do it for him. And if you think White promotes fights and fighters, look how he treated Tyron Woodley, who was a champion. Look how he just treated Anderson Silva, who was in consideration as one of the greatest of all time. Look how he treated John Fitch, who was making $66,000 when he released him and said he was too expensive. White's job is to promote the UFC, Dana White, and to get money for himself and his overlords. That's it. Just to see him go after Aram like this. And Aram's no saint, but shit, I say White's worse. Because he even tried to sell this bullshit. That takes some big balls. And yet people buy it. It's astonishing. Astonishing. Stephen Thompson has some thoughts about Hamzat Chemaev. And he might be kind of on the mark here. So he was speaking to Submission Radio. And the subject that Jemayev came up because I, I think Thompson wanted to fight him or something of that nature and something happened. I don't, I, I don't re- exactly remember, but here's what uh, Thompson had to say to Submission Radio about Jemayev. Rank, rankings is becoming a non-existent thing. It's about the exciting fights. Uh, I kind of called it. I was like, man, why are they pushing this Hamzat guy so hard? And then I was like, watch, watch Habib retire. They kind of did the same thing with Darren Till when Bisping retired. They needed somebody from that market to keep those fans involved, and Till was it. I guess the same thing with Hamzat. They knew that Habib was going to retire, and they needed somebody from that market, and there you go. You got this Hamzat guy who's been doing work. And, I mean, the similarities are there, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that Thompson is correct here. The UFC did push Darren Till, and it pushed him too fast and too hard. And it kind of blew up in their faces there. And this isn't something the UFC hasn't done before. They look for fighters from certain regions and then they promote them and push them. And if they don't um, live up to the expectations, they kind of bury them and forget about them and then move on. They've done it in Mexico. Um, They've done it in England. Remember when McGregor got signed and then a whole list of Irish fighters got signed? And now I don't think any of them are with the UFC any longer. Um, So this isn't a out-of-line comment from Thompson. And and like I said yesterday, to put Shemaev in the rankings at number 15 after one fight, and that fight coming against uh, someone who was making their UFC UFC debut, that's ridiculous. That's just a ridiculous thing. He should have never been in the rankings for that win. He's 1-0 in the welterweight division, and he's in the top 15. No, and again, that seems like a little bit of screwiness from the UFC, but it's not something we haven't seen before. So is Thompson on the mark here? I don't know, but he's not off the mark, that's for sure. So we'll see what happens here when Jemaya fights Edwards. And if he loses, I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC gave Jemaya a middleweight fight to try and move him up there. And if he loses that, if this all doesn't work out, then expect Jemayev to have a short run as a promotable fighter for the UFC. Because Thompson's right. They might just be looking for someone to promote in that region. Because they've done that kind of thing before. So Juicy A. Formiga spoke to 
MMA fighting about his recent release from the UFC said that he was not 100% ready to fight. Uh, his manager told the UFC recently that he wasn't, that Formiga was not 100% ready to fight yet. And then a couple weeks after that, they called his manager back. And this is what the manager, his manager was told at that point. And this is a quote from the story. They contacted my manager again last week and said they were going to cut 75 athletes. And I was one of them. What am I going to do if they decide to cut me? There's nothing I can do. Which is true. Um, there is nothing you can do because UFC contracts are one-sided and useless for the fighters. So he's 100% correct in that. And the more important thing I think to take away from this, other than that it sucks for, for Megan and it's getting close to the holidays and not the best time to be released even if you're not going to fight because you're not healthy. The key here is to listen to that other part with the uh, 75 fighters that are going to be released. And I thought this was going to happen because of the number of fighters the UFC signed during the two, uh, I think it was two seasons of the Dana White Contender Series this year, 2020. A much higher number of fighters were signed this year. And that wasn't a mistake. This is by design. And the design is, well, now you have a bunch of all the new fighters with lower pay. And you want to balance the roster. Who's going to go? Fighters like Formiga, who are good, not great, ranked in the top 10, but probably have no way to the title or a title shot and make a decent amount of money for the UFC, amount of money the UFC would consider to be uh, incredibly high, but in the big picture is still being underpaid. Those are the fighter that's, fighters that are going to go. So someone like Formiga is probably you're, you're right in the wheelhouse of who is going to be released of these 75 fighters. Long-term fighters on losing skids, long-term fighters who have gotten close to title shots but who have never gotten a title shot and won't be in the picture for a title shot, fighters with decent uh, name recognition but who are on the downside of their career but making a decent amount of money, these are the fighters that are going to go. So keep an eye on this and know that they are going to be replaced by fighters from the Contender Series on terrible contracts. And know that the quality of the fight cards, which have already been fairly weak, or are going to get um, probably a little weaker now. And the only way to combat that, if you're a fan, is to hurt the UFC's ratings on ESPN. If they put out shitty cards and the fans keep tuning in, those cards are not going to get better. They're going to remain poor and probably get poorer because the UFC knows that it can just send anybody out there. Anybody at once. As long as it's got UFC in it, fans will tune in. And until fans stop tuning in, the UFC is going to cut its pace, pay and reduce the number of high-paid fighters and replace them with folks who a couple years ago would not have been in the UFC. So if you want higher quality fights, more entertaining fighters, the UFC is going to have to feel it in the ratings. Until then, you're going to see the talented but not top-tier fighters get released. And I, I 100% believe that. John Jones is still in that spat with uh, Daniel Cormier about the GOAT thing. Took a little turn where Jones kind of implied that by the time he's 40, he's going to be about five years into his retirement. And I don't believe that one bit. John Jones is 
33 right now. So no way does he retire by 35. And I don't think his ego will let him retire at 40 unless he's clearly losing fights and on a, da- on a tremendous downslide. I don't think he retires by the time he's 40. And the reason I don't, I think this is because of his ego, it, 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 which is huge. And you need a big ego, I guess, to be a, a, a professional athlete. But if you can't accept an argument for a fictitious greatest of all time ranking at 33, you're not going to want to retire at 35 when that, when that conversation is still going on and you're still going to be involved in it and maybe not at the top of it especially if he loses at heavyweight, oof, Jones is not going to retire in two years. He's just not. And I would give it a 50-50 shot that he fights to 40 or beyond just because he seems to crave the attention and crave the spotlight and want to establish himself as the greatest fighter of all time. And he want, and he, to leave no doubt about that, he's going to have to keep fighting. And if he loses a legitimate fight, or blows it in the legal sense again, he's going to have to have ground to make up. And the way he's handling the greatest of all time discussion now gives me little faith that he will that he will be able to retire. He just won't. If he doesn't win the, the heavyweight title, he's going to be at it because it's going to eat at him and he won't be able to step away. His ego will not let him step away. He's going to be one of these guys who, if he, if, I just see this happening if he, if he starts losing that wants to go out on a win and just ends up sliding down and sliding down. I just don't see, I just do not think there's any way possible that Jones has the mental fortitude to step away from this sport while there's other people in the picture of greatest of all time. Just don't see it happening. And and I'm I'm judging this by how he's acting now when he's getting compared to a Habib Nurmagomedov or a Anderson Silva or a George St. Pierre. He's not handling that well. If someone comes along and starts surging up the rankings or uh, keeps go- being going undefeated, then Jones is that's going to eat away at Jones and he's going to want to establish himself as the greatest. And I just don't see that happening. I just see him kind of kind of letting his ego eat away at him and, and causing his downfall. And and it, it's already kind of causing his downfall in a in kind of an emotional way. I'm talking about causing his downfall in an athletic way as well. Um, he's really not helping himself these days with with just the way he's handling this whole discussion. It, it's a poor reflection on him, and I think fans are really turning against him um, just because this thing is so silly, and he's so invested in it. It's very weird. It's very strange, and. My prediction is 100% that Jones fights past 35 and 50-50 that he fights past 40. So Mike Perry did an interview um, for UFC 255, which inexplicably he is still fighting on. He's fighting Tim Means. And the fact that his mother's on tape calling 911 when there was allegedly a confrontation we'll say just confrontation with his ex-wife now ex-wife where his mother called 911 and Perry was asked about that and here's what he had to say because the the writer or the the person doing the interview with him asked him 
what his side of the story was. And he said, I don't believe that you have that correct. I did not assault her, his, his ex-wife, Danielle Nickerson. That night, I don't believe those allegations were made about the night that 911 call took place. And I don't know what Perry is trying to say here, but it's clear what it sounds like he's saying here. When you say, I don't believe you have that correct, I did not assault her that night. The, the, uh, the that night part is what I hear. That's the part that stands out here for me. And when you add that on top of the statement he made recently that he gave a reason why he would put his hands on a woman, and that's not even talking about the story his that Nickerson told uh, MMA Junkie recently. So if you add all these things up and know that there's a police report out there that can be had, and, and MMA Junkie has it, the 911 calls, all that, and the UFC is not going to investigate him and just let him stroll into a fight on Saturday, that does not sit well with me. And it shouldn't sit well with anyone, but it's the UFC, and it's just going to happen. They're just going to let Mike Perry fight, and I don't get it. I 100% don't get it. His own words are suspicious enough to warrant an investigation. And that's without even taking Nickerson's account into into uh, into the, the conversation. There's still time to pull this guy out of the fight. And the UFC should do it. Will they? I doubt it. Will anyone ask Dana White why Perry was allowed to fight after making all these statements? I doubt it. Should Perry fight? 100% no investigation has to take place any other sport it probably would but ufc not every other sport and that's all i have for this evening um probably have some discussions of some of these things again tomorrow if more information becomes available but until then everyone stay safe